0: All right! Wow. Well, yes. Happy Mother's Day It goes without saying. We love our mothers. We love each and every one of you. Um, so thankful for you, and uh, it's not over. The celebration isn't over. We have even more for you later on. So, so hold tight. Um, we're going to um, we're going to just kind of quickly recap. We've had quite a year so far. 2016. Uh, we started off here um, going through the life of Christ. If you guys remember, we we're going through the Gospel of. Do that early earlier this year. We're going through a book of the Bibles, one of the four Gospels, looking at the life of Christ. It was the Gospel of Mark. Mark. You guys are on it, okay? So Gospel of Mark, and then from there into Easter, we went into. So we went from the life of Christ, we went into a Christ-centered community series. We did that was a shorter uh, series that we did after Easter. Well, now we're actually we've ended that series. Pastor Curtis ended it last week, and this week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be fixing our tech, and then. We're going to be looking at a new series which is going to be entitled Abiding in Christ. Okay, so that's shining on me, is that? Okay, sorry, I don't see you, I just see your breath. Oh, thank you. Okay, so anyway, um, I'm not doing a a PowerPoint today, so that's okay. Um, So Life of Christ, so um, sorry, Life of Christ, community, Christ-centered community, and then Abiding in Christ. You guys see a theme there? We are a Christ-centered church, we want to talk about Jesus Christ and make him the, 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 the most pinnacle point of our lives. And so I love that song that they sang um, because it just captures so well our hearts towards Jesus. And so, so with that said, um, what I'd like to do now is as we start this new series, Abiding in Christ, let's just start this time off with the word of prayer to bless this new series and going into um, the time that God has for us. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you um, for our mothers, God, because it is through them that we are here right now, God. Um, but Ultimately, Lord, it is because of you. It is because you decided that you wanted to bless us, you wanted to create us, you wanted to be in relationship with us. Ultimately, God, you wanted us to live with you, and you wanted us to experience what it is to abide in you, Jesus, to abide in Christ. And so we pray now for this new series that you would bless it, God, that over the next couple months, Lord, that this would be a time that we can, as a church, now start to slow down a little bit and just start to sink into this idea of what does it look like to have this ongoing life with you, God, to abide Jesus in you. And so would you bless this time, bless this series we're going into, be with us in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have a few questions for you, what we're going to call heart trivia, okay? So you don't have to be a doctor for this, but I have some questions about the heart And I want to see, not like the spiritual heart, I'm just talking about your actual heart. I want to see what you guys know. So, first question is this. How many times, approximately, how many times does your heart beat every single day? I want to hear some numbers. How many times does your heart beat every single day? I don't want to see any phones being pulled out. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. I saw that, Solomon. Yeah. (laughs) 200,000. Wow. Big number. Any other guesses? See, Clint, it was supposed to be like, oh, like 20,000, 30,000. Then when I said 100,000, it was going to be like, whoa, 100,000 times. But yes, it's not nearly as many as that, Clint. It's not very exciting. Okay. Always always doing that to me. Okay. That's okay. I thought you said you don't like to talk during these times. Okay. Um, Okay. New question. How many gallons of blood does your heart pump every single day? How many gallons? Gallons of blood. (laughs) Ah, you guys are killing me. (laughs) It's only 2,000 gallons. It's like nothing. Yeah, your heart's, your heart's like, useless. Okay. Um, let's try something else. I'm going to go a new route. Okay. How long does it take for your heart to circulate blood throughout your entire vascular system? How long does it take for your heart to go, for your heart to pump blood throughout your entire system, your vascular system? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Any other, any other guesses? Ninety seconds. Got you on this one. Twenty seconds. Yes. Okay. Isn't that so quick? Yeah. Twenty seconds to get through your entire system. Okay. Last question. Last question. This one I like. This is my favorite one. How long is your system of blood vessels? So your arteries, veins, capillaries. If you were to like string them all together and stretch them out, how long is your system? Around the earth. Around the earth. Any other guesses? Smaller guesses. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Clint, I got you again because it's around the earth twice twice 60,000 miles okay now I don't recommend trying it but if you could imagine right going around the world twice like how far is that you're you know the heart is a fascinating thing and God created it every perfect detail and here's what I want us to do for a moment okay just now we've talked about let's kind of take in our heart let's just like sit with it so actually take your I want you to feel your pulse okay So take two fingers feel your pulse Okay, now now think about this. Everything we just talked about, this this blood that's just pumping through you so rapidly, that's happening right now. Just sit with that for a moment. As you feel your heart pulsing, blood, 2,000 gallons every single day, just sit with that for a second. Every, every, every pulse that you're feeling right now. In fact, do this. Close your eyes. Close your eyes so that way you can actually really experience this. Close your eyes and picture this. Every, every pulse that you feel, is a pulse of life that your heart is sh- shooting through you, that ultimately God is giving you. Every single second is a gift. You guys can open your eyes. And, and, and what I wanted us to see here in all this is that we all have life. We're all given life. Every single moment is a gift. It truly is. And, and what this is that we've just looked at and described is our physical life. It's our physical Keeping our bodies alive and moving every single day. And what I want us to see here today is that we are both physical and spiritual. That God's created us body and spirit. And that both matter and both are necessary for the kind of life that he calls us to. And that's exactly what we're going to see today. Is what is it that we're being called to? Because God is inviting us, we're going to see in our passage, he's inviting us to live life with him. God is inviting us to live life physically and spiritually to live life with him. And so that's the big question we're asking today is, what happens when we live life with God? What happens when we experience both physical and spiritual life with him? And so we're going to see in our passage that Jesus is inviting us to abide with him in life. Jesus is inviting us to live a unique life with God. And so um, the, the book that we're going through in our series, it's the book of 1 John. It's the letter of 1 John. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to it now. We're going to be going, like I said, through the next couple months, um, through the series of 1 John, looking at this idea of what does it look like to actually live, to abide in Christ, to live life with God. And you'll see in your bulletin, we have the message notes there. We're going to be going through 1 John, chapter 1, starting at the very beginning, verses 1 through 10. And so, with that said, we're going to start with our first main point today and ask the question regarding this life that we're being invited into. What kind of life is it? What kind of life are we being invited to live with God that Jesus invites us to? And we'll see in our first point here, which is in the notes, that Jesus Christ invites us to share in daily, forever life with God. That the word of life, Jesus himself, offers us daily, forever life with God and each other. Follow along here, starting at verse 1. And let's see how that unfolds. Verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So we see here that the word of life is being proclaimed. What is this word of life that we see here? The word of life is simply God's invitation of life to us. It's God's inviting us to live life with him. Again, just, a moment ago, just moments ago, we felt our pulse. We felt our physical life experiencing it every single moment. But what we're seeing here is, again, there's a, there's a physical life that has, our, that has the aspect of our heart that continues to beat, but there's also a spiritual life. And here's what we're going to see here in this book as it unfolds. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit to a passage that's going to help give us context for today and what John is talking about when he's talking about life. You don't need to turn there, but we'll see in, in, in a few chapters, John 3, 1 John 3, 14, he says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who does, in other words, anyone who does not have the love of God in them remains in death. Or to put it another way, we're all born separated from God because of our sin. In other words, we're all born dead. That's kind of a strange thing to hear. We're all born dead. When you're born, you're being brought to life. But it says we're born dead. And this, of course, this is why we're separating for a moment the physical and the spiritual. Because obviously we're born physically alive, but we're born spiritually dead. It says that we remain in death. And that's that's what God's getting at here, is that... He's trying to get us to see, yes, you're not alive right now. Internally, you're not alive. When you're born on this earth, you're born separated from me. And that means that while we're born physically alive and we can experience, you know, the physical pleasures that this world has to offer, we can experience phys- physical security, physical wealth, physical um, health, and all these other aspects of physical life, spiritually we're never going to experience the person and presence of God deep in our spirit. That as we're born into this life, we don't get to experience his infinite love that has no limit of height, length, or depth. That we're not born experiencing the filling of a deep loneliness that only God can satisfy in our souls. We're not born experiencing God's inner peace that goes beyond our understanding. We never experience this perfect rest for our tired souls and ultimately never experience this abundant life that God has for us. That we're born spiritually dead. And God's well aware of this fact, and that's why he's sending us what we hear this phrase, this, this invitation to life or this word of life. That's why we see our first point is that God's inviting us to share in this daily, forever life with him. In fact, he's been inviting us to this life for some time now. We see him doing this all throughout the centuries, all throughout the history, both of the church and even beyond that, into the Israelites. And what we see, in fact, capturing this well um, is, is Paul in, in the book of Acts Paul goes through kind of a history of the different opportunities, different times that God has presented life to the Israelites, that he's given, invited them to life. And we see this in Acts 13. If you want to turn there, um, we can kind of go just kind of quickly through different ways that God's invited um, his people to live life. And now I want you to notice, though, if you do turn there, Acts 13, I'm going to read through just different passages and highlight them. But what Paul's doing is he's preaching a message. He's preaching a message um, to the church in Antioch, and what he's saying is um, essentially that they're, they're missing out on, on life, they're missing out on the life that God's inviting them to, and he's inviting it to them here now, and so it says in verse 16 that Paul stood up, and he motioned with his hand, and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So he's about to say something really important. And again, he's going to capture the history of the Israelites and how God has offered them life. And notice, God's not offering them the spiritual deep inner life that we're talking about quite yet. He's focused really actually on the physical life, and we'll see why in just a moment. He's focusing on giving them the physical things of life. And so look at verse 17. It says, God made the Israelites prosper during their stay in Egypt. And that with a mighty power, he led them out of that country. He freed them from physical bondage. And verse 18, that for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. In other words, even though they were continually doubting, him, doubting God, they stayed with, God stayed with them. And verse 19, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land, their physical land, to his people as their inheritance. And then after this, God gave them judges, he appointed, he appointed overseers that would give them structure for how to live life, and then they asked for a king, and it says in 21, he gave them Saul, son of Kish, and after removing Saul, he, God, made David their king. Gave them a physical king to rule over them. God gave, them, gave the Israelites a king that was considered a man after God's very heart. Again, we see, why, why is God giving them this, this physical life? He's giving them over and over, he's giving them physical security, physical land, physical descendants, physical wealth even. What's that about? Here's the thing is God cares about our physical and our spiritual life. He cares about both. And so, as we see in the passage unfolds, he, he, he sends one last invitation of life to his people. Except this time, he sends a physical invitation of life to care for the spiritual life of his people. We read in verse 23 that from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And so we see that Jesus came physically as the word of life, this word of life that God's been inviting us to, he came physically as the word of life to save people from spiritual death. Or to put it another way, Jesus Christ himself invites us to share in daily, forever life with God. So let's look back now at our main passage today, 1 John. Now that we kind of have that history of how God's been inviting us to life, And let's look more clearly to see what's happening here in the book of 1 John. Because John's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to a church who's who's been attacked countless times with with false teachers and people who are coming in and teaching lies, ultimately teaching that Jesus Christ wasn't really who he was. He wasn't really a physical being that walked on earth uh, in in the sense that he was fully man and fully God. And so what we have is John saying, No, actually, John the disciple, who was with Jesus, who reclined on Jesus' chest at the table, who was loved by Jesus says, no, 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 you have it all wrong. In fact, he was here, and we did see him. In verse one, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And John's doing something there. He's doing something where he's, he's, he's taking all of God's invitations of life throughout, we see, throughout the Israelites, and bringing, encompassing even Christ into that, saying, essentially, Christ is the embodiment of this word of life, of this invitation of life that God's been offering us. And so Jesus Christ is in himself the word of life. And what does the word of life invite us to? Let's look at verse 2. It says that he invites us to share in daily, forever life with God. Now, 1 John 1-2 says that the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The eternal life. See, the eternal life that Jesus proclaims, it's a daily, forever life with God. Eternal life in this context means that life with God begins now. Daily, forever life. It's here and now. It's far more than what we would just call a a ticket into heaven, which oftentimes our culture can treat it, treat this idea of, you know, receiving Jesus. Um, You know, we all love tickets, right? We love getting a ticket. Well, we don't love getting tickets from cops, um, but we love getting tickets that get us into, like, you know, a, a musical, like a production, a play, um, a sporting event, um, concerts, different things like that. Well, I have on my phone here, because, you know, we don't really do physical tickets anymore. Everything's on your phone and your smartphone. It's, it's, it's so boring. So you don't have anything to, like, look at afterwards and hang up on your wall. But what I have is an is a electronic ticket here on my phone. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a ticket to a Giants-Dodgers game. It was for my birthday last year. And this was a ticket that I got before when we made our, made our purchase. We got the ticket, and essentially, once I had this on my phone, I walk up to the stadium, I hold it up. There's a little barcode on the bottom here. I, it, you know, the lady scans it in, and I get to now enter into this glorious experience of Dodger Stadium. You know, and it's just it's just so I love. That's like one of my favorite childhood memories. Used to come out every year from Hawaii and just as a family go to Dodger Stadium watch the Dodgers, you know, hopefully beat whatever team they're playing, which in this case it was the Giants, and I believe they won like 10-2 to 2 or something, um, just saying. Um, but anyway, that's not important. Um, the, 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 it, was, it was just such a sweet experience to see that, but it was all because of the ticket. I could have never gotten in without that ticket. And oftentimes that's how we treat Christianity, that's how we treat God's word of life, his invitation to life with us, is it's, okay, God, I've received you in my heart, and one day I'll get into heaven, perfect. Um, yes, that's true, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more because it is a life that begins here and now. It's a daily, forever life. And so what I want to look at here is actually, because there, there's a verse in the Bible that we pretty much, for the most part, either all know by heart or we've at least heard of it, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And, and, and we've, heard this, we've heard this verse so many times, it's almost like stuck in our head. But kind of what we do with that verse is we say, he loved the world and that he didn't want anybody to perish. So what he did was he sent his son and whoever receives them has eternal life period. And we use that phrase eternal life, kind of like, again, our ticket into heaven. What I want to look at is a new, a new perspective of John three sixteen, And what I like is um, the message who, uh, this, was, this was a paraphrase of the Bible written by Eugene Peterson, a wonderful pastor, theologian, who is able to take the Bible and really look at it from a, a very um, theologically accurate and yet very simple way. And so what he does in the message for this, for this verse, for John 3.16, I'll just kind of read it to you, what he says. Notice how he describes eternal life at the end. And this is what, this is what he says regarding the verse. John 3.16, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. But by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life kind of gives you that picture, right? Whole and lasting life. Like, it's right now. This isn't an eternal life that starts later. It's a, it's a whole and lasting life right now. And yes, it will certainly continue into eternity, but that's what it is. It's an eternal life, and it begins now. And daily. It's, it's, it's a daily, forever life. It's daily because, in fact, we can live relationally with God every single day, and it's forever because we will live this daily life for all eternity with him. And now, notice in our first main point that it that we say that Jesus invites us to share in this daily forever life with God, that this life is not to be consumed in isolation, but shared in a community of other believers. Look at verse 3 in our passage. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a a word we use all the time. It's kind of a big-sounding word. It's a simple word, really. It just means to have in common, to have in common. And all of us here, we have something in common. And this is where we've been leading in in, in this whole time, okay, is that we were all born spiritually dead, and that for those of us who have accepted Jesus into our hearts, we've been given God's spirit. We've been given God's very invitation to life, that now we do have eternal life. We do have this daily forever life with God. And guess what? Because of that, we now have fellowship with one another because others who are Christians, others who are believers also have this daily forever life with God. And so that's all the passage is saying here to have fellowship with one another is to to encounter one another in life because guess what? You You have something very big in common. You have eternal life in common. And this means that we can live with the spirit in everything we do, both physically and spiritually. This means we can experience the person presence of God in our life We can't experience his infinite love, which has no limit in height, length, or depth. We can't experience a filling of our deep loneliness that only God can satisfy. We can't experience God's inner peace that goes beyond our understanding. His perfect rest for our tired, weary souls. And ultimately experience this abundant life that God has created for us. And when John closes this passage, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a much more joyful life than just the physical aspects of life, than just the physical health, wealth, security. We may or may not have that. That can kind of come and go. That's the thing about this life, right? It comes and goes all the time. Even in a place here like Irvine, in Orange County, we're promised so much. And it could always leave at any point. And furthermore, those who have a lot of wealth, those who are, I mean, I'm talking like the billionaires of the world, they'll tell you right now that money doesn't buy happiness. We know that security, physically, wealth, health, these things can't actually buy us the happiness, the the inner joy that John's speaking of here. What can? Life with God. An invitation to live life with God, deep in our core, to experience him, to experience this rest, this inner peace, this abundant life. And that's the kind of joy that John's talking about here. And so there we've seen in our first point that Jesus Christ invites us to share in this daily, forever life with God. Let's look at our second point here. Which, by the way, there's only two points here. That's my Mother's Day gift to all of you, so there you go. (laughs) Two-point message. Um, Got a lot going on today, so I wanted to make sure this wasn't going to be too crazy. So second point is our question here. What do we experience as we share in this daily, forever life with God? In other words, what happens in this life that Jesus invites us to. Now this is where John, we're going to see in the text, kind of takes this this dramatic shift from what he was just talking about, this invitation of life, and this kind of sense of like, yes, we've seen Jesus, we've felt him, we've touched him, he's here, he's offering life to you. And and then we have, as we share in daily forever life with God, we experience purification, purification from our sins. As we walk in the light of daily forever life with God, we experience the forgiveness of our sins. Interesting. The first thing we talk about that John's going to bring up here in regards to how to live life with God is experiencing forgiveness, purification of our sins. Let's read this passage and see how he unfolds this and then we'll kind of look at it. So, Starting at verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Okay, a lot just happened in that passage, so we're just going to take it into two different chunks, looking at the, I, I, John kind of brings into this, this light and dark theology all of a sudden, um, light and, and, and darkness, it's almost this like Star Wars theology, light and darkness, walking in the light, walking in the darkness, don't go to, I just watched Star Wars recently, I'm not going to give anything away if you haven't seen it yet, um, although I was definitely given a spoiler before I saw the movie and it was tragic, um, but that's all I'm going to say. Um, but there's, the, there's this ongoing, again, I'm not going to give away anything because I'm big on not giving stuff away, but there's this ongoing tension, okay? But if you haven't seen the movie, go see it, okay? Um, there's this ongoing tension throughout the movie of light and dark, and there's a particular character who has this internal struggle with light and dark, okay? Now, that's it. That's, I'm done, okay? Well, with that note, that's what John's hitting at here, in a sense, okay? This isn't Hollywood. This is, this is God here we're talking about. This is the Bible. But this is the light and dark struggle that, in fact, we do all experience every single day. And look at verse 5. He, he, John starts off with this solid theology that you can't get around. It's not God shines his loving light on us, or God has a very bright light that he likes to shine out. No, God is light. Verse 5, God is light. He defines light. Light does not exist without God. And that in him, if you, in case you didn't catch that, he's going to clarify, in him there is no darkness at all. Okay? In other words, John uses the terms darkness and light because God is light. God's perfect, holy nature makes himself light in contrast with the darkness. So, what is this darkness? Verse 7 says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Darkness is sin. It's as simple as that. Darkness is sin. So as we walk in the light, we share in this daily, forever life with God, what happens is we start to experience purification from our sins, a separation from the darkness. But, as we see in Star Wars, so we see here in everyday life, we are given a choice. God loves us. He doesn't treat us like robots. He doesn't create us to be forced to do his will. He gives us free will. He gives us choice to choose between the light and the darkness. Every single day, in fact, because John uses the word walking, right? He uses this picture that there's a, sen- there's a sense of ongoing progression, right? Again, this is a, a daily forever life with God. This isn't a, you know, pray a prayer and then one day you get into heaven. No, this is an ongoing here and now life with God progression. And so we're given then every day a choice. The, the, I think there's a, there's a common general false, maybe just we'll call it a lie, that as Christians, we can, we can kind of be in three places. We can either be moving towards God, moving away from God, or standing still. And I'm going to say that the lie is that third option, that we can't actually be standing still. We can't actually just be sitting. No, it's, it's we really are moving closer to him or further from him. And, and, and I think that, that this passage makes it clear because John doesn't give any other options. John is one of the most, he, I mean, he preaches it. When he's talking, he's, let it, he's kind of laying it out there. Um, He calls, again, earlier we saw, you know, they remain in death. He talks about people being dead. He has no reservations about saying that, that there's light and there's darkness. There's nothing in between. And and, and yet, we see this phrase that we're purified from our sins. So how does that happen? How does that work? How do we just start to walk and we're purified in our sins? Well, he actually explains it to us right here in verse 9. He says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us, from all unrighteousness. How do we experience purification? Confession. It says that if we confess our sins to one another, we will experience purification. Now, we need to make a very important distinction because confession here doesn't literally make us purified. As believers, we were purified when Jesus died on the cross. We experienced purification when he died on the cross and we received his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's when we were purified. What John's talking about here is what we can consider almost like an outworking of that purification, okay? In other words, at the the very core of us, Who we are is our identity is in Christ. We are God's beloved child, and nothing can change that. No amount of sinning we could do can change our identity in Christ. But there's a whole lot of layers between the core of us working its way out, and that's the stuff that God wants to work out. That's not our identity. We can can consider it maybe like sin habits, habits that we've formed over time, giving ourselves to the darkness, which is, again, we're all born in darkness. It's no mystery. It's no secret. We've all been born into this place of darkness. We don't really want to talk about it, but... John sure does, so let's dive in. You notice I skipped all the even passages. Those are all the passages that talk about claiming to have um, some form of of, of sin or not having sin. What I wanted to do is separate kind of the light and how we deal with our sin, and now let's actually talk about the sin, because we see in verses 6, 8, and 10 three different claims given to us. John discusses three different claims that we can have regarding sin, almost like what does our relationship with sin look like? And so we see, starting at verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, scoop down to verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. All of these three claims carry the same general truth that we need to be honest about our sin. We can't go to one extreme or the other. We can't, we can't deny our sin, I and mean, we can't we can't embrace it and and and, and not deal with it. But what, what we're saying is, is that we need to be honest about our sin. Otherwise, all we're doing is relying to ourselves, to one another, and to God. But verse 9 says, as we read earlier, if we confess our sins, see, this is the alternative to lying about our sins, is confessing our sins is to, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So again, light and darkness. To walk in the light is to confess our sins to God and one another, and to walk in the dark is to deny our sins to God and one another. And I believe that there's, there's a temptation to live in the dark because that's John's tension, Right? He keeps referencing to walking in the lightness versus walking in the dark. There's clearly a tension ongoing for his people. There's a tension ongoing for our people, for us today. And I think the tension is this, is that there's a a lie that we believe that being in the darkness is safer. That if we hide from our sin, especially from others, that we're safer. And and there's a number of reasons for this. I think two, two common ones that we maybe all experience are... The concepts of guilt and shame. Guilt, kind of this sense of, I'm not worthy of, of God's standard. I don't, I don't measure up to what he has. His perfect holiness, the fact that he is light, I'm certainly not light. He is light, he's perfect, and I can't meet that. And then there's the shame experience as we kind of expose ourselves to one another. There is something very vulnerable about confessing sin. I'm not going to lie, it's a hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. In fact, I think the only way that we can do it is to embrace the truth of our passage here. Because kind of tucked away in this light and darkness discussion is something very powerful that we can't miss. And here's here's where it is. It's it's in 1 John 1, verse 9. And it's an element of walking in trust with God. As we walk in the light, we're really trusting God. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and trust. We have to walk in God's light trusting that 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 the truth is we are already loved by God, that he already has died for us while we were sinners. It's no surprise. He already died for us. We're already purified at the very core of us so that we now have freedom to share with one another our sins. We have freedom to confess our sins with one another. And it says that he's faithful and just. It's not like, oh, I hope that God forgives me this time for my sins. No, he's faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And so with that said, here here is the, the practical application of this beautiful, complex passage we've looked at here in 1 John. We've seen that Jesus Christ invites us to share in daily, forever life with God, and that through this life alone, we can experience the purification from our sins. And we experience this purification through confession. What does this look like? What does it look like to confess? Well, confessions too, also a very simple word. Confession simply means to speak what is true. To speak what is true. And so, so for instance, it's to say, it's to say, just in the truth of my heart. Yes, I did that. Yes, I thought that. Yes, I desired after that. Uh, you know, the Ten Commandments weren't just like, like like a, a, a random chance, like a guess that God was like, maybe this will be things that they struggle with. Um, God knew what he was doing. He really spoke to the core of us in the Ten Commandments. And as a good example, we can use some of these for, for a place in confession. You know, Looking at some of these Ten Commandments, let me just run through a few. Um, a confession could look something like, yes, I have had another, another God in my life. Yes, I have not been resting on the Sabbath for a 24-hour period which we will be going through a series on rest and Sabbath, and I strongly believe that that was not just an Old Testament command, that that's something for us to live out each and every day, but that will continue to unfold over the the few months in the summer. Uh, Another confession, yes, I have been dishonoring my mother or father. Yes, I have been angry at my brother or sister, which Jesus equates with murder. Yes, I have lusted after a man or a woman. Again, adultery. Yes, I have stolen. Maybe in our context, it's something online that's not necessarily physical, but is easily justified. Yes, I have stolen. Yes, I have lied to my neighbor. Yes, I've, I've coveted my neighbor's house. It's bigger and better, and it breaks apart less on them. And, and, and it's, or I've coveted my neighbor's husband or wife. Or I've coveted my neighbor's possessions, car, car. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the most active and vocal pastors back in the 40s during Hitler's reign in Germany, he was passionate about confession. He was one of my heroes. He had just such a power, just a pure heart of serving God's people in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, ultimately dying for his faith. But he offered three reasons why we as a church need to confess our sins specifically to one another. That we certainly want to confess our sins to God, but that it has to take place in a physical time and space way between you and I as a church. Here are his three reasons, and you see that at the bottom of your notes. I want you just to jot in the word that's there so that we can kind of sit with this for a moment as we close. The three reasons why we confess our sins to one another. The first reason he shares is that we confess our sins to one another physically, other people in the church, so that we make sure that God is not just a phantom for me. That I'm not merely forgiving my own sins. I don't know about you, but I've certainly done that. I've sinned and didn't want to share with anybody else, so I I, I talked with God about it, but but I I think that was a good step in the right direction, but it wasn't the entire step I needed to take. Um, I've been meeting with a dear friend of mine almost every single week now for the past, gosh, six ever since I've been out here in in California, and him and I are are able to talk, enjoy life together, and ultimately get to a point where we can share um, and confess our sins to one another. That's a big part of why we meet. Um, I'm also very honored to be a part of a small group where we can share and confess our sins. That could be a little harder to do, in and in a, you know, even in a small group setting, that could be an intimidating thing to do, but oftentimes if we can find that one person that we trust and we can meet with, um, that's probably a safe place to start this practice. So again, we're, not making, we're making sure God's not just a phantom, just something that we're telling ourselves we're forgiving, but really we're not really uh, entering into our sin. Secondly, he says, that all of us, why why do we confess our sins to one another? Because all of us ultimately must reveal ourselves at some point, and he says, better today than at the last judgment, right? That as long as our sin remains concealed, it continues, he says, it continues to devour and to poison me. Think about that. As long as our sins remain concealed, it continues to devour and to poison. The lie is thinking, I'm gonna stay in the darkness, so I'm gonna stay hidden and not expose myself to the light. The truth is, God promises to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we will no longer will experience the devouring and poisoning that the sin, that our sin has within us. Thirdly and lastly, he says, I, I this is this is why I love Bonhoeffer because he could say things like this. Why do we confess our sins to one another? Because I need this humiliation. It hurts and it makes me small to confess my sin. And ultimately, It liberates me from the pride of my flesh. I don't know about you, but I need this humiliation every single day. Which one of these stand out to you? Which one of these three areas of confession, the reason for confessing to one another stand out to you? Just sit with that for a moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to close this time in a time of prayer. And then, um, and then we have a few other things we're going to do um, to, to end this time. But for now, I just want to give us some space to process and kind of sit with all we've taken in and really look at what is my, ultimately, what is my resistance to confession? Because if God's promising me this daily forever life with him to experience joy with other believers in him, what's holding me back? And so let's spend some time right now with God talking about that. And so God, in, in, in light of... Um, Romans 12, again, we just present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. We open ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you as, as vulnerable as that might be, God, knowing that you are faithful and just. You do love us. You died for us, Jesus. You have already invited us to life and now we open up to your life, trusting that you very much so hold us right now. And so now just sit for a moment with God, just looking at those three reasons. Which one of those maybe are you the most resistant to confessing your sins for. Father, I know for all of us, to some degree, we can relate to these ideas, relate to this idea of confession being a struggle, and that's why you've given us the letter of 1 John, amongst so many other passages, to make the point that you so desire us to walk in your life, to simply speak what is true about what's going on in our lives so that we can experience this daily, forever life with you. So would you bless us now, God? We need you so much. Thank you for inviting us to life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of offering now and just kind of have some music playing in the background to kind of continue almost this meditative spirit of just kind of sitting with God and just processing this idea of confession. Let's just take some time now for that. That was beautiful. Like I'm back in Hawaii. Um, We're going to have a time now to, well, we're supposed to have a time now for all the little ones to come and do something. Does anybody know? I don't mean at all, or are they like, no, they're just, they're, they're waiting for snacks. I was wondering what they were doing there. <laughs> we should require every kid to have to go and give his mom a hug before he goes and gets yeah. snack. I think that would only be fair. All right, well, let's um, make sure they're all handed out. Okay, please raise your hand if you haven't got one yet, and your mom. We don't want to leave you hanging here. There you go. Toss it, Brian. It's even quicker. All right. All right. Actually, sorry, moms. I should have told you. Keep standing, and then everybody else stand, too, because we're closing for our benediction. So everybody stand and receive God's invitation to you to life. Receive this as from the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. Happy Mother's Day. We love you moms. Have a great day.